I've been waiting for this all week long. I'm glad you're here. I hope you brought a Bible. If you did, I'm going to invite you to turn to John chapter 3. While you're turning there, I'm just going to go ahead and fill in the blank for Andrew. Um, from announcement time this morning, don't forget we're having a fellowship tonight after church. I want to encourage you to come, be here, be a part of that. If you'd like to bring some finger foods or dessert, do that. We're going to put it all together and just have a great time of fellowship as we celebrate together the things that God has done and is doing in our midst. So, John chapter 3, over the last several weeks we began taking looks at what I like to call snapshots of Jesus. And we started out, if you remember, in the wilderness. And we saw Jesus as the overcomer, the one who was tempted and yet was victorious over that temptation and did not succumb to sin. We saw him as the one who calls those who will follow. This morning, I want us to look at a very familiar conversation and very familiar passage between Jesus and a man by the name of Nicodemus. And I want you to see with me Jesus as the giver of new life. And a lot of y'all are going to say, oh, I've heard this before. I'm sure you have. I have too, but you know what? It never fails to excite me. Nicodemus came to Jesus, and I, you know, I have a, a feeling it wasn't Jesus going to him. It was Nicodemus coming to Jesus. I, I've got a feeling that, that 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 evening as Nicodemus came and Jesus saw him stepping out of the darkness, and Jesus probably thought something to himself along these lines, and please understand, I'm just making a, a supposition here, but Jesus probably thought to himself, here comes my one. Because for that evening, he had one person, he had one mission, he had one message. This was his one. This was that moment. And they had one of the most wonderful conversations that has ever been recorded for mankind. It's found in John chapter 3. Now, if you read the end of John chapter 2, you would discover that Jesus had just revealed that he knows what's going on inside the hearts and the minds of people. So when Nicodemus came to him, it wasn't like Jesus was saying, I wonder what he wants. He already knew why he was coming. He knew what was on the agenda. He knew what the questions were going to be. He knew what the discussion was going to be. Nicodemus came to Jesus as a man with excellent religious credentials. I mean, you unpack the story of Nicodemus. This was a man who was a Pharisee. He was a student of the law as well as a teacher of the law. He was a theologian who wanted to know about the things of God and wanted to know about God and wanted to know God better than he did. He was a ruler of the Jews, a member of their high court, the Sanhedrin. Finding a more moral, upright good man in all of Judea would have been a difficult task. He was an outstanding man among the Jewish people. Nicodemus had an incredibly religious exterior. Being a Pharisee, he followed the law, he kept the law, he taught the law. He was very careful about it. But when Jesus looked at him, he didn't see that religious exterior he saw that hungry, longing, empty interior. 
And that's what this conversation is going to address. Let me tell you this as we get started. As we read through this conversation, I, I want you to understand it's a reminder. It, it is a reminder to all of us. It's a reminder to me as a pastor. It, it should be a reminder to all of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, as well as to those who come searching for answers and looking for something to give them hope and to change their lives. It's a reminder that you can have religion without having a relationship. It's a reminder that we can know about God without really knowing God. That's what the focus of this relationship or this conversation is about. And that's what I want us to see this morning. If you've got your Bible open to John chapter 3, we're going to begin reading at the beginning of the chapter in verse 1, but we're going to read down through verse 18. If you've got your Bible open there, you can and will. I'm going to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's holy word this morning. Follow along with me. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it. But you do not know where it comes from and where it's going. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you a teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven. The Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning, in this moment, I cry out to you and ask you to give us wisdom, give us insight, give us your words and your message. I know that in this room there are many who call themselves your children, many who have experienced this new birth, but I also believe in my heart of hearts 
that there are those who are religious but missing a relationship. They know about you, but they don't know you. And Father, I pray that if that be true, that today you would break down every wall, remove every barrier, take away every snippet of pride, convict of sin, convince of the Savior, and draw unto yourself those to whom you would give new life this day. Father, teach us your truth. And give us open hearts to receive it. And to respond as you lead. For I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. You know, a lot of folks get sidetracked with the idea and the information that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. Okay, he did. I don't know what that means, and we always make all kinds of suppositions, but we don't know what that means. Maybe he came because he was afraid of what other people would say or think, that he, a religious leader, would come to this itinerant uh, rabbi. But, you know, it also might have been that his days were busy and Jesus' days were busy. And when the evening came and the crowds dispensed and dispersed, that here were two busy men who had the opportunity to sit down and visit with one another uninterrupted by anybody or anything else. I, I don't know. I don't think we need to over-speculate about the timing of Nicodemus' visit. The important thing is that Nicodemus came to Jesus. He came with questions. He came trying to understand. He came seeking information. And I think from the record of this encounter, we can learn some wonderful truths. And I, I want to I share those truths with you because I think that they're important for us to learn and to embrace. And the first truth that we... I think have to grab a hold of is the most important one. It's the one that everything else hangs off of. And we have to have this one. And it's the must of the new birth. I want you to understand what Jesus said to to Nicodemus. You must be born again. It's a requirement. He didn't say you need to think about this. You need to consider this. You need to weigh this among the other options you might be aware of or be familiar with. You must be born again. Why is it so important? Well, you must be born again. It is essential to be born again if one is going to see and enter the kingdom of God. Did you see what Jesus said in verse 3? If you've got your Bible, go back, look at it. I say to you, unless one is born of the kingdom, he cannot see, or born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You don't get in apart from this experience. You don't get in apart from this moment. Here's Nicodemus. This man possessed theological training, the the best available in his day, in his time, and in his place. And yet he did not understand the things of God. He may have known about God, but he didn't know God. And Paul addressed this very thing in 1 Corinthians 2.14 when he said the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God because they're foolishness to him. He can't understand them because they are are spiritually discerned. There are a lot of people today who share Nicodemus' problem. They've read the books. They've, They've gone to church. They've been in Bible school. They've been in Sunday school. They've heard the memory verses. They've heard people pray, and and so they kind of know the lingo. 
They've sung the right songs. They, they understand what the message is, but they've never embraced it and claimed it as their own. The new birth is essential to see the kingdom of God, but it's also essential to enter the kingdom of God. Look down a little bit further at verse 5. He says, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. Folks, we need to just dispel the myths, okay? Are are you ready to, to, to unpack a little bit of this with me? I mean, it's quick. It's simple. It's something you've probably already heard. Maybe you've thought. Maybe you've said it yourself. But let's just get it out there and be done with it, all right? Christianity is not based upon goodness. It is not based upon your family or their name or their place or position. It is not based on your intellect, whether you're smart enough or or not smart enough to get it. It's not based upon your achievements, the, the, the things that you've accomplished in your professional life or in your life as a student. None of that counts for anything. It's not based on your faithfulness to attend church regularly. It's not based upon whether or not you have your name on a church roll or in a Sunday school book. It's not even based on whether or not you give to the church regularly. That's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about a relationship with a living God. It's about not just knowing about God but knowing God and being known by Him because we live in relationship and walk with Him on a daily basis. When you become a born-again believer, it is if the whole world opens up. The Spirit of God removes the scales off of your eyes. You begin to see and to understand. And things that you may sit here today and listen to me say, say, it makes absolutely no sense. I promise you, if you meet Jesus and the Spirit of God comes to indwell you, those things that you say make no sense will make perfect sense in that moment. That's what the Spirit of God does. He gives us the ability to understand, to know, to realize that we come to God on God's terms as defined in the Word of God. So what what does that mean? Man, I could spend about three hours right here on what does this mean. I'm going to give you the short version, okay? Y'all okay with the short version? Yeah, I like that. That's coming. Yes, yes, please. The short version is John 14, 6. Where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We can talk all day about what it means to be saved, but the bottom line is you come to the Father through his Son, Jesus Christ, and there is no other way for you to get there. Just put it out of your head. There is no stairway to heaven. There is no multiple paths or other religious ways. No, there is one way to God the Father, and that is through his Son, Jesus Christ. That's the must of the new birth. But let's, let's not stop there because I said everything else hangs off of the must. Once you understand that there is a must, you have to wrestle with the fact that there is this mystery of the new birth. It, it, it is a mystery to human understanding. And that's what Nicodemus was transfixed with. He was trying to, to wrap his head around this mystery. 
And he reveals the mystery in verse 4 with the question that he asked. How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Nicodemus was a religious man. He was also an intellect. He had a good education. He understood the world. And he understood his religion. And like so many people in today's world who have all of those same types of qualifications, he also understands that there is a spiritual realm, but he wasn't sure exactly how to get from the physical realm into the spiritual realm. He didn't understand the concept of a relationship with God and what being born again had to do with knowing God. This mystery is presented to him by Jesus. And then explained. Jesus had told him, you've got to be born again. Nicodemus said, I don't get it. How can that happen? That's not even physically possible, is it? And Jesus said, no, you're going down the wrong trail. You're still thinking in the physical realm. We need to get you over here into a spiritual realm. And in verse 6, Jesus says to him, flesh gives birth to flesh. But the spirit gives birth to spirit. See, we've all been born of flesh, haven't we? Anybody here not been born of the flesh? I'm just checking because there's this show on called Ancient Aliens that is on every week on the History Channel. And if you've not been born of the flesh, then there's something weird happening in your life, and I'd like to meet you after church and visit with you for a while, okay? We have all been born of the flesh. But not everyone is born of the Spirit. We would like to think that everyone is, but the reality is that's not the truth. Jesus even said that's not the truth. There are going to be more who aren't than who are. Now, he talks about this, and I had people say, I, I think I have been. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know. How do you know? So glad you asked. How do you know? Let me just explain to you. And Again, I could spend three hours here. I'm not going to. Let me just give you three clear facts that we all need to recognize from this spiritual birth. Fact number one, there is a divine change. This is not about a human attempt to reform our lives, to, to get religion, to turn over a new leaf, to get a fresh start. This is when God does something inside of us that literally changes us. It changes our attitudes. It changes our thought processes. It changes our desires. God does a work in our hearts, and that translates into our minds, and we become a different creation. Now, that leads me right into the second fact, okay? And I want you to hear what I'm saying. This is a complete changing of a person. Now, I know people say, well, I was saved and nothing changed. I beg to differ with you, friend. You weren't saved. I'm telling you now, when you are born again, saved, regenerated, whatever term you choose to use, whenever that happens, you are changed from the inside out. And people say, well, I, I, I don't really get that. I don't either. I don't know how it happens. I don't know how God does what he does. I just know he does it. How do you recognize it? He'll make a liar into an honest man. 
He'll make a cheat into a straight shooter. He'll reform an alcoholic. He'll set free a drug addict. He'll take a criminal out of the jail and make them a witness on the streets. I've seen all of those things happen. And it wasn't because they were strong. It wasn't because they were tough. It wasn't because they were capable. It was because the power of Jesus Christ was released in their lives. I've seen a lot of people who said, I'm saved, and nothing changes. Nothing happens. They're not any different. You've seen those too. I've seen people who said, I'm born again, I'm saved. And for a while, everything rocks along. And then all of a sudden, they turn their back and they go the other way. And people say, well, wait a minute. How could they be saved and live like that? They aren't. Well, but they were with us. They were here in the middle of everything. Yeah, John talked about that when he was a little bit older in, in, in John chapter 3, and, and, or chapter 2, in, in verse was it 19, I believe. He said, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For had they been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they are not of us. You know what he's saying? He's saying that there are people in the church who are lost. And give time and it will be revealed. Their lives will show it. Their actions, the way they live life, it'll show it. They'll turn, they'll go the other way. You say, but wait a minute, they were saved. No, they weren't. How do you know that? Fact number three, this new life that God gives is eternally secure. So I'm not sure I can believe that. Well, let me just tell you something very simple and very, very, very clear, okay? The God who loves us, the God who calls us, the God who convicts us, the God who changes us when he saves us is the God that Scripture says is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he loved me and he called me and he convicted me and he changed me and he saved me, he is not going to decide to do something different with me tomorrow because he is unchanging. We may be changing. We may be wavering. We may be wishy-washy, but God is not. That's the reason Jesus said in John chapter 10, verses 29 and 30, he said, look, where the Father puts in my hands, no man can take away from me. Once you're his, it is a forever kind of things. How do we become people of God? We are born again into the kingdom of God. How do you know for sure, preacher? I'm just not sure. Okay, here we go. Are you ready? 2 Corinthians 5.17. You know this verse. I use this verse, seems like every week. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Paul says, God takes you where you are, but he makes you into something different than what you are when you come to him. He makes you into a person whose life is going to please him. Again, John, in his later years, writes about this very thing. I, I want you to hear this. First John chapter 3, verse 14. He says, we know that we have passed out of death into life. Hold it a minute. Who said anything about being dead? God does. In his word, he reveals that when we are in our sin... We are dead in sin. We are dead to him. We are dead to Christ. 
So here's the reality. When, before we meet Jesus, we are dead. All of us are dead in our sin. But we are made alive in Christ Jesus. Now, back to what John said. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Wow. He changes our hearts. Let's be honest. There are usually some people sitting around us we don't really care for. We don't like to be that honest, do we? There are people that push our buttons, rub our fur the wrong way, make us uncomfortable. Folks, that we, you know, we wish they'd just give us a little more space. But here's the reality. <laughs> oh, I wish I didn't have to say this. But I remember, I remember looking at one of my sons one time. And I told him, I said, the Jesus in me loves the Jesus in you. But the daddy in me is about to take you down, boy. You see, the flesh may feel one way, but the Jesus in us sees people differently, understands their struggle because it's our struggle too. There's mystery in this new birth. The world struggles with it, and, and I'm just going to tell you, until you experience it, that mystery is going to continue to be mysterious to you. But I want you to know something else that is found here in this passage of Scripture this morning, and it is simply this, and it is the master of the new birth. The master of the new birth. You say, well, this is all about Jesus. No, this is all about God. This is all about God. People say, well, wait a minute. Salvation is by Jesus. Yes, it is, but Jesus is God. Please understand, when you read this passage, this is all about God. For God so loved the world. That's talking about God the Father. That he gave his only begotten son. That's his son, Jesus Christ. But we just read back here in chapter 3, that which is born of the Spirit. Oh, so the Holy Spirit's involved in this thing. Absolutely. This is all about God. And we are called to be born of the Spirit. Born of God. The Holy Spirit of God does an amazing thing. I've never understood it. I'm just amazed when I get to see it and thrilled and overjoyed when, when I see it happen. The Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and He applies it to the heart of someone who needs to hear it, who needs to understand that they are a sinner in need of a Savior. And that process awakens them to the sin in their life and creates in them a desire to know God. There is a conviction that comes. Paul described the natural man in Romans 3.11, he, he said there's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. Here's the reality. God seeks men. He pursues us. He chases us down. And he reveals our sin. And that brings conviction into our lives. And when we experience that conviction, we have a longing to be set free from that sin. But even with our longing, it's still not enough. God has to do it. See, this is where we, we sometimes, I think, minimize the sovereignty of God. We don't need to. We need to maximize the sovereignty of God. 
Because in John 6, 44, Jesus said this. He said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. People say, well, then why do you give an invitation for people to respond? Because I don't know if the Spirit of God is convicting them and drawing them. And if he is, I want them to have the opportunity and I want them to have all the help and I want them to have all the support and all the encouragement that they can possibly have in order to do what it is that the Spirit of God is convicting them of and drawing them toward. I want them to come to the place where they are born again. People are regenerated. They're born again through the work of the Holy Spirit. They're brought They're brought through repentance and faith into a right relationship with the Father when they believe in the Son, Jesus Christ. And when that happens, there is, I'm just going to tell you from my experience, there is a sense of relief. There is a sense of joy. There is a sense of peace. There is this marvelous awareness and understanding that we have been adopted into the family of God. And that same spirit becomes our seal. He is is the pledge of what we are to become and who we will be in God. There's a must. There's a mystery. There's a master. And that's three points, and that's where Baptists quit, right? Not today. I ask your forgiveness for a fourth point, my preaching professor would slay me. But I can't stop because I want you to understand one last thing. And that is that when you read this, when you study this, when you're confronted with this, you need to embrace the truth that there is this moment of new birth. Now, I've had people tell me, preacher, I don't remember exactly where I was or, or, or when it was or who was there. I, I know it. Ha- That's okay. I want you to know it happened. I want you to be sure that it happened. But I want you to understand there's a moment. There is a moment when the Spirit of God makes us aware. He wakes us up. He he. he He makes us see our sinfulness, and it's sickening. And we realize that in His sight, we're repulsive. And there's only one hope. And I want you to understand, don't look to the preacher. I can't do it. Don't look to a church. It can't do it. Don't look to a denomination. It cannot do it. Don't look to a school. They can't do it. Don't look to a Sunday school teacher. They can't do it. Don't look to a deacon. They can't do it. Look to the cross. Look to the cross and see who's there. Nicodemus was struggling to understand. And he asked Jesus, how can these things be? And Jesus draws him back into the history of Israel to an event that Nicodemus certainly would have been aware of, though many of you may not be. It's recorded in Numbers 21. The children of Israel had been journeying through the wilderness, and, and they kind of they were they were a lot like us. 
they got tired of things being the way they were, and sometimes they were unhappy and felt like they deserved more than what they had. And they had grumbled and complained about leadership, and they had grumbled and complained about having bread, and they had grumbled and complained about having this kind of meat, and they, they just wanted a little more, something a little different, something new. And God, like any father, finally said, you know, I've had enough of this. Now, my dad would have just reached over the seat and done this. God, being God, sent fiery serpents among the people. And they were being bitten, and people were dying, and, and the situation became very severe. And so Moses cried out to God on behalf of the people, and God told him, said, here's what you do. You make a brass serpent, put it on the top of a pole, go outside a camp, and put it there. And if they're willing to go outside the camp and look up to that serpent, they'll be spared. Got your Bible? Go back to John chapter 3 with me. Verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. Jesus was telling Nicodemus, I'm going to be taken outside the camp. I'm going to be taken outside the city. And I'm going to be lifted up on a pole. And those who will come out and look up will find healing. Will find forgiveness. Will find salvation. Jesus is conveying the urgency. And folks, if we don't share that sense of urgency with the people we visit with and talk to and share with, we are failing miserably. Say, so what do you mean by that? Listen to me. There are two great reasons for coming to Jesus in the now of life. And, and I, I want you to know, I, listen, I, I don't care about scaring anybody. That's nonsense. Nobody gets scared into heaven. I'm just telling you now, you're either called by God or you're not called by God. You're drawn by the Spirit or you're not drawn by the Spirit. I can't scare anybody into heaven. I can't scare anybody out of hell. If I could, I'd put on my best ugly face and get right after it. But here is the reality. First, we do not know the time that we have. We, don't, we have no guarantees of life. We don't know how many days we have, how many years we have. We don't know if we have a moment. There's not anything that guarantees we're going to get out of this building alive. There's nothing that guarantees that we're going to make it home. Some of y'all might choke to death on a piece of chicken at lunch. We don't know what we have. Why would we want to risk avoiding the reality of an eternal Savior? Because we think we got more time. I want to tell you something. I have watched people die. I have been in too many hospitals with too many people across too many years. And I'm going to tell you how it stands. I have watched saints with smiles on their faces exit the premises. And I have watched people with tormented hearts exit from this world. And here's just my assessment. 
it is a fearful thing to face the beginning of one's eternity without a Savior. The second great reason is this. The sooner you come to know Christ, the sooner you know the joy of forgiveness. The sooner you know the joy of a new life. The sooner you know what it is to be set free of the fear of death and dying. The sooner you begin to know how it is to look forward to spending eternity with the Father and all the saints. The sooner you get to know Jesus, the quicker the abundant life begins. And that's the reason that Paul, writing his letter, second letter to the Corinthian church, said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. Now is it. Today we've got, we don't know about tomorrow. This moment we've got, we don't know about an hour from now. Today is the day. This is the moment when salvation is available. It ought to be sought. It ought to be gained. If the Spirit is calling, don't fight it. Just surrender to it. What Jesus spoke to Nicodemus about that night was the miracle of the new birth. I've had people ask me before, why do you call it a miracle? What would you call it? What would you call it when Jesus can take somebody that's completely unacceptable by all moral standards and societal acceptability and turns them into a new citizen, a different person. Changes their thoughts, changes their vocabulary, changes their lifestyle, changes their choices. It's miraculous. The Holy Spirit of God takes the Holy Word of God and He uses it to convict and to call and to draw and to convince and to the change. And He gives new life to men and women and boys and girls. And it's God's way of turning sinful people into saved people. We're all still sinners. We still all struggle. But we receive a new nature that strives toward godliness. We long to serve Jesus. Without being saved, there is no salvation. There is no eternal life. And it all goes back to the very beginning. You must be born again. George Whitfield was a great evangelist. Some of you have heard his name, some of you haven't. One of the primary figures of the Great Awakening in the colonies of this nation. An Englishman. Preached to massive crowds out in open air areas with no microphone, no sound equipment. Just a set of lungs and the pipes that God gave him. And apparently it was incredible. You know, John the Baptist is known for preaching one message, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. George Whitfield became known for preaching one message, you must be born again. He preached that text over and over and over and over. People just kept coming to hear it. And so he kept preaching it. And one day as he was passing through Philadelphia, a woman recognized him on the street and said, Reverend Whitfield, Why do you always preach on this text, you must be born again? 
And he looked at her and he grinned and he said, well, madam, the answer is simple. You must be born again. My friends, you must be born again. There is no other way to experience life eternal. There is no other way to come into the kingdom of God, to see it, to enter it, or to be a part of it. This is not ego or pride. This is humility and gratefulness. I'm in. And I pray that you are. But my friend, if you are not, I want you to know that today, just like Nicodemus came that evening and sat face to face with the Master, today you can meet Jesus face to face. And you can be born again. Say, I'm not sure. I, I don't know exactly how this works. I think I need that, but I'm not. Just come. When we begin to sing in a minute, come. Tell me, I want that relationship. I won't embarrass you or put you on the spot, but we will certainly share with you from the Word of God how you can be born again today. If you can look at me and say, Pastor, I am. I'm in. Let me ask you a question. Who have you told recently? Time's running out for everybody else. They're waiting to hear. Why would you keep that to yourself? It's not a consideration. It's not something to ponder or debate or think about or pray. No. The Son of God said it very plainly. You must be born again. Let's bow our heads together. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. We're going to stand together. We're going to sing a song of invitation, of commitment, of surrender. I, I want you to have the opportunity to respond to whatever it is that the Spirit of God may have been saying to you, what the Word of God maybe has spoken to you. It doesn't have anything to do with me. It doesn't have anything to do with this church. This is about you and Jesus right now. And my friend, if the Spirit of God is calling you, I plead with you, please do not put it off. Don't wait. Don't act as if, well, maybe sometime in the future, somewhere down the road. Some, we don't know what the future holds for us. Seize this moment. If he's calling you, if he's drawing you, embrace this moment. Don't turn it loose. Don't walk away. Brothers and sisters in Christ, who has God laid on your heart? Is there a person, a family member, a coworker? friend, neighbor, that you know needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ? Would you share it with them? You don't have to know all the scripture verses. You don't have to have an outline memorized. You just need to tell them, he saved me and he can save you. Let me, let me tell you how it happened in my life. Would you do it? Jesus, the giver of new life, is waiting. Please, please, don't leave him waiting today. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the challenges that it presents as well as the message of hope and life that it shares. Father, I pray this morning for us in this room, knowing that there are many who have been born again, they've experienced what this chapter is about. 
But believing that there are some in this room who have not, I, I cry out to you now. Call them. Convict them. Draw them. Change them. Father, perhaps there are some who you've already imprinted into their minds a name, a face, a friend or a family member, a, a neighbor, a classmate, a co-worker, someone that needs to hear. Father, I pray that that imprint would not go away. You would keep their face, you would keep their name always before us until we are faithful and obedient to do your calling and share the good news about Jesus. And now, Father, I ask you, take these moments, few as they may be, your word and your spirit at work drawing. Help us to hear, to be obedient, that you might be glorified in our lives. Father, have your way, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.